Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. There are no easy answers when it comes to how we should help the poor. Just look at how nonprofits and government organizations abound in poor communities across the world. Many of these groups do good work, and we should thank God for His common grace where we see it helping to alleviate unjust suffering. But as Christians, we know that people's deepest need transcend what can be seen. As John Piper aptly put it, Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. Therefore, we must prioritize gospel proclamation in poor communities, and ongoing gospel proclamation happens best through local churches. Sadly, many poor communities lack healthy churches where this kind of gospel proclamation can happen. Thus, we need to focus on planting and sustaining healthy churches in poor communities all over the world. This is no easy task. It will be costly. We'll need God's sovereign grace to sustain us every step of the way. Thankfully, that's the kind of grace He delights to give. So to talk with us about planting and sustaining healthy churches in poor communities, I'm excited to have my friend Tyler St. Clair with me on the podcast today. Tyler is the lead pastor of Cornerstone Church in Detroit, Michigan. He also serves as the network lead for Church in Hard Places and Acts 29's U.S. Midwest Network. He is married to Alita, and they have five kids. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Now, you were saying before we started recording that uh, you, you got a bit of a problem coming up this Sunday at your church, right? It's it's uh, what is it? Probably like twenty degrees up in Detroit, and you have no heat. Is that right? Yeah, the building that we are um, renting from, they've been having technical difficulties getting their boiler on. So uh, yeah, good times. So we're trying to figure out next steps. We've been scrambling like two eggs on Sunday morning, trying to figure out what we're gonna do this week. I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, hash it out with. Um, some space heaters and some extension cords and uh, some of God's grace and uh, a lot of hand clapping and foot stomping to keep us warm. But uh, yeah, man, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. That's good, man. Hey, tell the listeners how you came to faith in Christ and uh, how your wife said yes to you. Uh, I did say her, <laughs> her name correctly, right? Elita? Elita, yes, yes. And Elite how in did Spanish. You, how did you get so many kids, bro? Like, uh, talk to us about your story. Well, well, this is a this is a uh, PG program, so we're not gonna go into all those details. I ended up with so many kids, uh, but uh, man, super uh, long story of God's grace uh, made short. Uh, I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Um, product of a single parent home. My mother um, was um, in a long term relationship with my father, who uh, made very bad life decisions. So they ended up not being together. So. Um, I ran the streets, you know, my, my whole life has just been in a 10 block radius, like a lot of people in my community, um, uh, born and raised in Detroit on the Northwest side, went to school here with the church here. Um, and I couldn't wait to leave. I hated the city. I hated all of the, the pain and suffering that I experienced and that I seen. So my plan was to go to college, make a lot of money and leave. Um, so, um, yeah, and at the age of 18, I, um, 
one I made several life choices. I made several decisions. I said, you know, I'm I'm done with church. I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with religion. I'm done with all this stuff. Went and got a tattoo, went and got high, and I started this voyage of self-discovery uh, at the age of 18. And God, at 19, slapped me in the face with his grace. Uh, a friend of mine who I kind of ran the streets and hung out with came back from college and said, yo, man, I got saved. And I was like, what is that? Saved from what? What does that mean? So, you know, I'm a Christian now, blah, 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 whoop, whoop, whoop. And I said, oh, okay, good. You start going to church. And I said, no, I'm I'm a believer. And he, he shared the gospel with me. And what was so uh, phenomenal was he was the first person that I had seen come to faith. Like, I, I remember the old cat and I saw the new uh follower of Jesus. And it just was like mind blowing to me. I never seen anything like that. So we, um, we just kind of kicked it and I was observing his behavior and I'm like, man, this dude is just like a new person. So he invited me to this men's group that he had at his church, man. I went and I heard the gospel loud and clear. My eyes were open. And at the age of 19, I said, I want to live for Jesus. I want to give my entire life to the Lord Jesus and I want to serve him for the rest of my life. And I want to live um, to make him known. And I want to start churches. I want to create churches. I want to pastor um, people who come from broken situations and broken families and hot mess like me. So, uh, man, that's the super microwave version of it. But yeah, man, God has been really kind to me. And at the age of nine, uh, I was, I just turned 20. I met this gal that I worked with and uh, we just became friends and um, a, a friendship spawned. And for some reason, she ignored a lot of my um, weirdness and a lot of my uh, absurd behavior. And she said, you know, under all of that, I think this guy kind of loves Jesus. So, uh, man, we've been rocking together, married 15 years and doing ministry almost 17, uh, even before we got married. So, yeah, man, a fairy tale of God's goodness. That's good, man. That's good. Yeah. Um, now, so how old is your church now? So we just hit three years. Um, in October, we celebrated our uh, third birthday slash anniversary. Um, and super encouraged, super encouraged about where we're at and uh, where we're, we're um, where we feel the Lord is leading us. Uh, so your church is about uh, three years old. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the neighborhood in which you planted? So, yeah, we planted on the northwest side of Detroit. Um, like I said, um, um, earlier in our marriage, my wife and I decided to move away from the city just because of so much pain that we've experienced, um, lost loved ones, just a lot of pain and suffering and hardship that we experienced living in Detroit. So I chased the suburban dream for a few years until we felt the Lord calling us back. Uh, to the city. So where we meet on the Northwest side, it's kind of an interesting, uh, five miles of, uh, different neighborhoods converging, got some middle class, some upper middle class, and a lot of poverty, a lot of brokenness, um, where we're at in the north- Northwest side of Detroit. Yeah, man. That's good. Um, so what is some, what are some of the unique challenges you faced, uh, in that, uh, you know, challenging area? So, um, initially in, in, in planting, it was such a foreign concept. What we were doing, just the intentional, um, gathering people, raising financial support, um, connecting with people. It, it, 
most people didn't even know what that was. They never heard of a church plant. They never, never heard of a church planter. They didn't know what core group. So like two months in, we stopped using all that phrase. <laughs> we stopped using all those phrases and all that stuff. We didn't have a core team. We were starting a church. I wasn't a church planner. I was pastor St. Clair. So, um, it was, it was a lot of demystifying what church planning was, what I was, what I was, who I was, and just kind of getting back into the, uh, I call it my black church bag. Uh, I had to kind of like, like you were talking about Dave and others, I had to take off my flannel and all that good stuff and stop talking about coming alongside and pouring in and doing life and just kind of get back into, uh, like I said, my black church bag of, of who I am, what we're called to do, um, because it was such a foreign mystical concept, especially because our church is diverse. So it was a church getting started with some white people, with some black folks, some, uh, upper middle class folk and some poor folk. And people came in like, what is this weird gumbo of people? So it was a lot of explaining, a lot of demystifying initially. And then it was um, just the realities of doing ministry in the urban context, uh, limited resources, um, reaching people who have little to nothing to give financially, um, and also trying to meet uh, the spiritual needs and show them that their spiritual needs supersede their natural needs, which are constantly drawing them away from Jesus and constantly drawing them to, you know, pursue bigger, greater, uh, bigger, better, and greater um, when Jesus is the biggest and Jesus is the greatest. So those are some, some of the things that we face. Yeah. What, what are, speaking of uh, kind of being in a, in a poor community, what are some of the, um, well, let's start with this. What are some of the misconceptions that people have about mm-hmm. pastoring or leading in uh, those types of communities? One thing, um, so this is why <laughs> we've kind of flipped how we do mission trips and we've limited how who we allow to come and do mission trips. Because one of the biggest, biggest misconceptions is poor people have little to nothing to give. Um, these people uh, who are in my community may be materially poor, but they are uh, rich in resilience. They, some of them are extremely intelligent. Some of them have a very, very solid spiritual uh, foundation. A lot of them understand the gospel in ways that s- still blow my mind. So it's just the misconception that poor people have little to nothing to offer is, is, is a false dichotomy that we need to fight. And, 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 um, that's one. And I would also say that, um, that people are in these situations because they chose it. You know, there are some people, like there's people in my family, uh, you know, loved ones who in some ways chose a life of poverty because of substance abuse, because of just poor decision making. But everyone who you see um, begging for money, uh, everyone who you see in a poor situation, it's not that they chose a life of poverty. You know, man, they just may have got handed some really bad uh, circumstances that they're trying to fight their way out of. So we were walking our block, um, showing some, some visitors our block. And then we had a brother, uh, walk up to me, um, and just kind of introduce himself, um, as a, he said, you know, I was a top highly recruited football player and he pulled out the article and showed us and told us who he was. And then just basically listed like 10 life events that led him to life walking the streets from a highly recruited athlete, you know, on his way to the NFL to now, you know, literally begging for change. So that's another misconception that, you know, people just, people are poor because they're lazy. People are poor because they made bad decisions. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> on, on the issue of, um, uh, 
ability to comprehend and, and apply and think through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, I perhaps a misconception is, um, you know, you're in one of those communities. You can't do substantive preaching, teaching, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. discipleship. I know that's not the case because I've, I've listened to some of your sermons. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about uh, your your own approach, your own philosophy of, of preaching, teaching, discipling. Yeah, I was getting ready to, when you said that, my mind autom- automatically went on a tangent. I could easily go on based on some uh, stuff that was been happening in the Twitterverse, but I'm going to chill and behave. Um, the, the, the notion that the black church is deficient of the gospel, that the black church is deficient of sound doctrine, that the black church and black preachers don't explain the gospel, that it's all sizzle and no steak, that's fake news. Um, I come from, man, I, I spent all of 2016 studying Grimke and Lemuel Hayes and, and Gardner C. Taylor, E.K. Bailey. I mean, I can go on and on about gospel saturated men who preach the word of God in ways that make the hair that's not on my head stand up. So that's a, that's a, and, and people come to our church because the number one reason, there, there's two reasons people come and they stick at our church. They say, we want to hear the word of God taught and preach, and these people are nice and welcoming. We have no nice facilities. We don't even have heat right now. <laughs> we, we have no nice facilities. We don't have amenities. Man, people come because they say, I want to learn the word of God and I want to hear it. Um, so, and people are hungry for it, man. We've, we've preached through the book of first Samuel. Uh, we preach through the solas. Um, so yeah, people are, people want to hear the truth. People want to hear the gospel. People want to grow. And, and I think the mistake a lot of, um, my reformed brethren may make is it's not that people don't want to hear the gospel. It's not that people who have, um, lower education or people who have no education, not that they don't want to hear the gospel, not that they can't understand is a, you may be boring and B, you may just be preaching so far over people's heads. They can't comprehend it. So what we try to do is we try to bring um, the in our preaching and teaching, bring all the the weighty, robust theology, bring it down on a lower shelf that even a fifth grader or sixth grader can understand. The children at our church, um, because a lot of people that come to our church may not have graduated out of high school, may have just graduated high school, they mm-hmm. may not know um, they may not know the phrase substitutionary atonement, but they know Jesus died in my place for my sins. So. Yeah, yeah. Th- that that's that's something that that we're very passionate about preaching the word of God, preaching through books of the Bible, um, leaning into doctrine, lean, leaning into theology. So, so in the spring of last year, we had what was called uh, a foundations class, and after the service, um, we just had a twelve week class where we went through theology, we went through systematic theology in our church, and uh, people were excited about that. So there's ways that that people who you may not um, think desire or understand sound doctrine and sound theology way that you can put it that is very acceptable and they desire it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and tyler is just uh one among many who are doing sound theology in absolutely in these difficult communities and so to, Mm -hmm. to have that to have that misconception and it is indeed a ridiculous misconception Mm -hmm. that uh certain ethnic groups certain uh classes of people are not doing theology is not only ridiculous it's it's also it also ignores the fact that there are many uh upper class very educated segments of uh america where no theology is being taught <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and I can yeah. take you to, to many of those. And so facts, uh, such a statement is ignorant and it shows a, a lack of awareness, um, mm-hmm. and some, some major blind spots. I didn't bring that up with that particular issue in mind, <laughs> but I'm glad we, I'm glad we got to rant about that for a little bit. Uh, and I would like to take any of the naysayers to our brothers like you in Acts 29 and, uh, let them have a look at that. And by the way, what you're talking about, uh, accessibility in, in your uh, preaching, um, making it understandable is, uh, is a very reformed concept. Uh, Absolutely. You know, when you, when you go back and read Luther, one of, one of the quotes I have in, in one of my books is about how Luther says that he preached to the kids and he preached, uh, he preached to the, the youth, uh, he did not preach. He said to the lawyers or to the doctors mm-hmm. um, in his congregation. The same with Calvin, uh, not quoting Greek and Hebrew words. And though I'm not, you know, saying you should never do that or anything like that, but the the idea that uh, we want to make uh, robust theology plain and accessible and understandable um, is actually a reformed characteristic. And not only mm-hmm. that, it is a sign of wisdom and compassion is that yeah. you want people to know what you're talking about and, uh, it's, it's, it's being contextual. And so for mm-hmm. me, clarity and simplicity are spiritual, uh, virtues. Like that's yeah. things that we should aspire to. Uh, and we're not, we're not getting points for, uh, uh, flying over people's heads. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean, as you indicated, that we, we're throwing out substance, not at all. It just means we're explaining, right, what we're talking right. about and mm-hmm. we're making it clear to people. And so, man, I'm I'm grateful for your work, brother, especially, you know, having some roots up in that, uh, that part of the world. Yes, uh, sir. My dad grew up on uh, Amherst, just off Junction Avenue. Uh, up in, hmm. uh, he used to walk to, uh, to Tyler Sta- Tiger Stadium. And um, I'm just thrilled we've got brothers like you in Detroit preaching the gospel, um, l- leading people. Hey, talk to us a little bit about the challenge of uh, – I've heard people before, and uh, Kimberly and I, when I was um, in New Orleans, we, we experienced some of this. Uh, she did a lot of work with uh, the homeless shelters and the battered women's shelters, and mm-hmm. we were doing a lot of various uh, kind of mercy work uh, there in the city. The tyranny of the urgent that mm-hmm. – uh, so many in in uh, uh, poor communities deal with. What's that like? What what is that? First of all, and then what's what what is that? What is that? Uh, what are the implications of that as a pastor? So yeah, it's 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 a constant battle. Um, it's it's yeah the the tyranny of the urgent, the tyr- the tyr- the tyranny of the immediate. Um, we constantly face um, that challenge because it's just very difficult to. Um, get people to focus on spiritual matters when the urgent realities of life are crushing them. I mean, and, and think about it. Studies, studies have, have come out and, and I've read several articles and several books on how poverty brings added anxiety, added depression, added levels of, of coping with substances, added levels of trauma, just living in poverty, all of those things. Um, are realities that people face. So you, when a person, when, when someone walks into your congregation, it's not just that they're in a bad place financially. They may have been coping, um, their financial difficulties by abusing substances. They may have, um, 
went from just going from paycheck to paycheck to now they're doing payday loans. Now they're got stuff in the pawn shop. Now, so now all of those added anxieties, all those added pressures, um, lead to depression, lead to other, um, mental and emotional illnesses. So now it's not just a poor person. It's a, a person who's dealing with poverty, but a myriad of other issues. And you're trying to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> like, like, like I hear you about Jesus found, but I don't know what I'm eating today. Like I've, li- I've literally heard, I, I lost track of how many times I've had that conversation. Like I hear you about God, but I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You know, I, I hear you about God, but my child was assaulted by the boyfriend that I moved in that I thought was going to marry me. So now he put us out and we don't have anywhere to stay. So it's, it, it's just, it's a constant, constant, uh, uphill battle. So our approach is, man, we, we are, we, we try to be a people who, who love and listen well. We try to be a people who are constantly pointing people to Jesus, but also trying to point them to other resources. If, if we have those available in our church or we have that, those available in our church body or we have those available through different connections. But yeah, it's, it's a constant, constant uh, thing that we face. Um, it's probably going to always be the case. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Talk to us about the uh, the the challenge of trying to take care of people's physical needs, but also, you know, do good gospel work. We 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 have this discussion a lot about mercy ministry. Um, and yeah. I know in Acts twenty nine, we're committed to planting churches, and we believe that is actually an act of mercy, mm-hmm. planting a sustainable church that will be there for the long haul uh, to do more than just uh, provide some soup and some bread, uh, as important as that may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what what does your understanding of how, how we should think uh, from your own experience there in Detroit about how to bless the poor? So yeah, it's, it's two, it's two extremes that we try to avoid. One, we're not a, we just preach the gospel church, you know, or we just give people the gospel, just give people the gospel. Um, we're not that, but we're also not a glorified soup kitchen as well. So th- those are two extremes that I see in, in, in my community. And I've just kind of seen observing how others uh, view ministry. Um, we're not a spiritual soup kitchen and we're not a, uh, we ign- totally ignore the needs of people. Man, what we try to do is first, we are just crystal, crystal clear that we are a church. We are here to preach the gospel. We are here to make disciples. We're here to plant other churches. We're here for, um, th- to advance the cause of Christ. Um, we are crystal clear about that from jump. So when, when issues come, come up, we, we filter it through that, uh, we filter it through that, that, uh, filter like, Hey, this is what we're called to do. We're not called to do mercy ministry. We're not called to, um, to, to be overly consumed with that. But we are also a church that try to, to live by two philosophies of being, uh, radically hospitable and, um, radically generous. So we do, we've, we've done the, getting electricity on we've done the getting the electricity from preventing the electricity from being cut off you know we've done all those things man we've did uniforms for, you know we've every year we go through our uh, benevolence budget at least by june uh this year i think we were done in may and we still continue to not only uh help and assist people in our community but those needs constantly come up in our church body so, but yeah, we're, we're clear about who we are and what we're called to do, but while still trying to, uh, meet those needs. And, and we also try to get creative with how we do it. So we've done different initiatives where we, so one thing that, uh, a couple ladies that I can't take, uh, any, um, 
take a credit for the uh, uh, for the idea because some ladies in our church came up with it. Usually, most good ideas come from them uh, because they they see the needs first. So, a couple of ladies at our church said, "Hey, we're constantly getting hit up with people who are, you know, burned out of their homes or who have, you know, different issues who need clothes. What if we every second Sunday people just brought clothes and we set out a table and let different people in the community and different people from the church just come and take." clothes, electronics, shoes, all kind of nice stuff. So we call it a give and take table. So every Sunday we have a, a bootleg makeshift Salvation Army outside our, our side of our uh, worship area. And people just come and take things as they... Um, as they need so and over the summer we had a summer block party and we had what was we had a free thrift store and we had people come donate clothes and toys and um home appliances just all kind of stuff it just we had about 10 tables of stuff that people just came and just took it to their homes and and people were blessed people were walking walking to their cars and walking down the block with garbage bags of just free stuff so we also try to get creative when we when we when these needs arise uh, in our church body. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a constant need, but we try to get creative, use some, some, uh, forethought, um, when we, when these needs come up. Yeah. And you guys, uh, recently with the church in hard place at X29, you just did an event in uh, Flint, Michigan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we had our main conference, uh, in Flint, Michigan. Flint is a area that's near and dear to me. Flint is about one hour away from Detroit. Um, and I think it was 2015 where, where the, where the water crisis became a, a national story for about two weeks and then it was forgotten. You know how things are urgent for two weeks and then the next whatever takes precedence. So, um, but those people in this community literally still do not have water. Like literally. So, um, as a part of our conference, we raised, uh, I think we're at about 2000 to 20 between 2000 and 2500 dollars to buy uh shower filters so people can take uh clean showers and and um and we're going to give those away for free through the local church so what's really cool is we're not only working with um potential church planters in flint but we've been able to work with existing baptist churches and existing churches in the community who we're able to just uh partner with and say hey we don't want nothing from you we're just here to partner we're not here to take over we're here to learn from you we're here to work alongside you and so we'll be able to give several thousand um dollars worth uh no several thousand uh shower filters away uh this thanksgiving along with some thanksgiving baskets as well so that's good, really man. cool stuff happening man that's good now if you're not aware tyler has written several really good articles for us uh at the gospel coalition and our i paid him uh, to say that acts 29 <laughs> partnership <clears throat> and uh, man perhaps tyler will be a grimke graduate and then we can really talk about his articles <laughs> and his, his scholarship uh, now one, of the, one of them that you wrote was pastor your sheep are not an accident uh mm-hmm. talk to us about that so yeah, this kind of was birthed, uh, out of my constant weird frustration slash, um, just a lot of stuff that rolls around in my head during holidays. So Easter came and, you know, you know, pastors, that's like our Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> it's like, you know, we get ready, we get juiced up and we get all excited about it. That's the one week we want to make sure the building looks decent and all that kind of weird stuff. So, uh, Easter, uh, Easter Resurrection Sunday happened and we had a good turnout and good service and things went relatively well. Um, but I just had this, this discontent in my soul. 
I just had this weird, uh, weird, uh, more people should have been there and these people should have, just this a lot of stuff was rolling around in my heart, rolling around in my mind. So, um, I started to really, um, pray and meditate and seek the Lord. And, and that, that article came from that, that the who I have is who the Lord sent there. I need to, um, concentrate my energies on shepherding them well, uh, ministering the word of God to them well, um, leading, setting the example for the sheep that the Lord has given me and not focusing on who's on the way or who's not there. So, and it's a constant struggle that, that, that any pastor that's honest will honestly say, Hey, this is something I wrestle with because, um, it's the tension that we have to maintain between evangelism, wanting more and wanting more people to come in and evangelizing, but, um, to the detriment, the possible detriment of those who are there. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Now, speaking of pastors, I know you run some cohorts uh, mm-hmm. in your area with other pastors. Uh, what does that mm-hmm. involve and how has that been a blessing? So, yeah, once a week and, and my, my, my man uh, uh, Dave is a part of our, our church planning cohort. Uh, it was started by another Acts 29 pastor. Aaron Carr, the bishop, uh, first Presbyterian, we call him the bishop, the first, uh, first Presbyterian church, um, Trenton, um, Trenton, Michigan, uh, it's about 40 minutes from me. So man, once a week, man, um, eight to 12 of us just get together. We pray, um, uh, we bear each other's burdens. We study scripture. Um, Aaron loves a lot of old dead white guys. So we usually read something from one or two or five of them. But man, it's just an awesome time of fellowship. It's what's really cool is our, our cohort has a, has a diverse mix of guys who are on different, uh, different stages of planting guys who planted five years ago and guys who are about five years out from planting, you know, all over in different contexts as well. So different perspectives are, are, are always, uh, refreshing. But yeah, man, it's usually this week we got together and we just prayed a lot and we read scripture and just it's always a great time of encouragement you know and, and what's really what's really dope is like these guys know me like these are like like friends of mine these aren't guys that i'm that i can impress or try to impress like these are guys who refer to me as tyler these are guys who know me and these are guys who know me when i when i say i'm fine it's like no nah, man fam you're not really fine like what's wrong what's the problem you know, so these are guys that we walk closely with each other and, um, man, we've cried together several times. We celebrate with each other. Yeah, man, it, it's been going on for about five years and it's been a, a tremendous blessing to our ministry. Um, and to me personally, like other church, churches have been birthed out of this cohort. Like guys have come to this cohort with the intention, like, Hey, I'm just thinking about church planning and got connected and did residency. So yeah, man, just crazy, ridiculous things have happened. Um, by God's grace, through this this group of pastors, that's good, man. I need to connect with Aaron. That's that's my birthplace, Trenton, Michigan. Yeah, man, that's my guy. And I would really, and just as a a quick um quick aside, like pastor, you can't do this alone. Uh-huh. Like if if you are if you are not walking with a handful of guys, man, you are setting yourself up to be uh, a target of the enemy. Easy prey for the enemy. You need guys to hold you accountable. You need guys to uh, speak life to your weary bones. Uh, you need brothers to celebrate with you. You need brothers to keep it real with you. So yeah, this has been something that's been uh, very refreshing for me. And um, I see a lot of pastors who kind of suffer in silence because they don't have something similar. It's good. So man. it's good. It's good. Last question: How can people? Yeah, man. Uh, whether individuals or, or 
whole churches support church planning in poor communities. What what word, counsel, advice, encouragement would you give to them? So um, I, I used to say it in a real cliche, very disingenuous way. I used to always say, you know, pray for us. Um, but yeah, we need prayer because the the discouragement that we face, the hardship and the challenges that we face are 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 feel in, insurmountable at times. Um, like this week has been an absolute meat grinder of a week for me, just dealing with you know family dynamics, along with you know trying to shepherd people through very difficult and dark situations. Oh wait, we don't have a we may not have a place to meet this Sunday. So just all these different things. Like like these men are on the front lines, um, and they are um, under the attack of the enemy. Um, trying to push back darkness in very dark places. So yeah, pray for these men, pray for, uh, pray for these churches. And of course, financial support. Um, you can't, you can't sustain a church in a place like Camden, New Jersey or Detroit, Michigan or the South side of Chicago or these different areas, Compton, you know, all, all these different areas. You, these churches cannot be sustained based on the giving of the people in that church. You can't tell a guy to, to go and move to the inner city and say, I want you to reach poor people and then be self-sustaining in three years. That's that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, so my challenge is to, to churches who have the means and have the resources. Don't put a guy on a, a three to five year or a three to five year um, uh, plan. Say, Hey, we're going to support you and we're going to, Give what we can as long as we can until so the Lord says elsewise. Um, it, it, it's, we, we, we put a, we put a church plan and say, well, you got three years, but then you'll support a missionary and fill in the blank country on the other side of the world for 25 years or until infinity and beyond. So, um, I would just say, yeah, we need prayer. We need financial support. And not just that, like I was kind of saying a few minutes ago, there's so many different creative ways that you can partner, that you can bless, um, even with limited resources. And, and not just that, it, this isn't like some weird parent, um, paternal type sugar daddy situation. Like we have something to offer. I have something to offer. Poor people have something to offer. Uh, churches in the urban context should not just be the recipient there. That's not true partnership. Like we have something to offer as well. So uh, seek healthy partnership, not the weird paternal thing. Like how can we bless each other? How can we uh, serve and partner with each other in healthy ways? So that's good. That's good. Tyler St. Clair, wherever you're listening to this, I would just ask you to uh, pray for this brother, pray for this church, pray for the city of Detroit and these planters. Amen. Tyler, thanks so much for your writing, your contribution to uh, our blog, and uh, thanks today for being on the podcast. My man. Thank you, brother.